Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Douglas, and you are here uh, with In Goodwill. And I'm here with Marsha Bolin. This is our fifth podcast episode. And today we wanted to talk about what we would like the world to look like. Um, what is it that we hope for? And what is the path to get there? Uh, what are some things that we we would like to see in our approach to, to getting to this ideal world? And, um, and then a response back from the other person on what that looks like and how they feel about that. So, um, Marshall, yeah. um, why don't we jump in and tell me what would you like to like the world to look like? <laughs> there are a lot of changes I would make <laughs> to the current world. Um, I would love for every human being to have the support that they need to live their life in the way that is most meaningful to them. I would like people to come into existence on this planet and find a, find it to be a welcoming planet uh, of other people and, I don't know, other creatures, at least people who are uh, curious about who is this new being and what, what's meaningful to them and how do they fit into the picture? Yeah. That's, that's uh, kind of the most general answer that I can come up with. And what sure. would, what would your answer be? Oh goodness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, I, I start from a place of faith. And so um, I suppose that what I'd really love to see is a planet that is working the way that God intended it to work. And um, for that to be people having relationship with him and relationship with each other, and that we would be good stewards of what he's bestowed to the world, um, that we'd be good stewards of the resources we've been given, that we'd be good stewards of the relationships we've been given. I, I really like uh, and resonate with what you said about um, uh, you know, finding a welcoming world uh, for each person, that there's a place for everyone and uh, an opportunity for them to be able to live into that mandate of, of being creative and being stewards and cultivating this earth. But that cultivation looks more like um, setting things into order and building things and people up rather than tearing them down and, and harming people and this world yeah what is what is having the right relationship with god look like to you? yeah so well you know if if we were to go back to the book of genesis and i know some some of the people who who are going to be tuning in will probably go oh man <laughs> you know i don't i don't put much stock in that um but what what it's trying to convey to us is that God made this world to be good and to be enriching and to be uh, vital. And, um, and all of that started with a relationship between himself and, and the things that he created. And sort of the pinnacle of that, as it's described in, in the Bible, is uh, with Adam and Eve, these, these two, these two people, the human beings, and, um, that his desire was for them to maintain a real, actual real relationship with them. So they're going to him. Um, and that's, that is worshipful, but it's also, um, it's also just the kind of ebb and flow. You know, I, I think sometimes about, when you have a child, you don't think of your children worshiping you, you know, in the sense that we kind of think of worship, like you go to a church and, you know, you do the bowing and you do the praying and you do the singing and all of that stuff. Yeah. But your children do worship you. Your children say, wow, mom or dad, uh, you are so amazing to me and you seem to have all the answers and um, I come to you when I, when I fall off my bike, who do I run to, you know, um, when I'm walking across the street, whose hand do I grab onto? And in return, 
you think of your children and you, you're just enamored with them and you want to lift them up and you want them to live a life that is vibrant and real and, 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 and productive. And you want them to have and do better than you were able to do yourself. And, and so I think that there's, there's elements in there that really resonate in that relationship with God. That Interesting. So um, what about yeah. that? aspect of wanting does god want us to do better than god's self uh, okay so i may have gone a little too far with that one as far as I, the I'm analogy by but, it, though. I, yeah. I didn't mean to try to got you there i thought no that's, no, no that's I, an interesting no. idea because we're kind of like uh we 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 emanate from god you know yeah and uh if if we're if we're going somewhere if, if we have some kind of purpose i i wonder if god wants us to add something that we yeah. we wouldn't that we wouldn't have if we weren't each of us weren't existing yeah now also in genesis there's this um story about the tower of babel and probably a lot of people have heard of that um but basically in the place where babylon was um, it conveys a story of a people who all kind of spoke the same language. Um, they, they interacted with each other. They were building each other up, but they decided they wanted to go their own way and not honor God. And so they wanted to make a name for themselves. And the implication of that being um, they were not depending on the name of God. They weren't calling on him. They were going to do everything their own way. And God basically broke that whole thing up. The Bible describes that as a miraculous situation in which he gave them different languages. They couldn't understand each other, so they went away from each other. And we kind of scratch our heads and go, well, what was that all about? But, but really the idea was they wanted to move forward with a society that was without him. Uh, they wanted to move forward without that relationship and that wasn't what god made them for so we might say well who is he to to say that we can't and yet i think what the bible at least is telling us is when we try to go our own way and do it under our own understanding apart from him we so often wind up going down bad roads and harming the world and harming each other and not reflecting his character and not reflecting his design and his uh, will. And that's what he created us to do. That was his part of the purpose of the creation of humanity. And so what we've done is we've, we've gone away from him. And so what I would long to see as far as this ideal world is, um, uh, I don't know what all of that would look like, but it would be a world in which we we turn to him and we we have real relationship. It's an ongoing relationship like we would have with a loving parent uh, of respect. And, you know, I sometimes say this to Christians. I'll, I'll say, you know, we, we talk about the word worship, but really that comes from an Elizabethan English word. Uh, worth-ship, the ascribing of worth to something. Hmm. And so we, we get into all of these concepts when we think of worship as like, well, you have to do it this way. And, uh, you know, if you don't say these right words or say these right prayers or, you know, this, that, or the other. And that's not really what this is all about. It's where do we find worth? What do we find worthy of our time, our attention, our maybe our finances, um, you know, and and our heart. Where's our devotion? Yeah. And so that's what God wants from us. In the process, uh, we are being called by Him to turn around and also ascribe worth to other people. To basically, and, and not worship in the sense that they are the end object of worship themselves, but that they're made in the image of God, and therefore we should give them that honor of being derivative of him. Yeah. Um, and so worthy of our respect, worthy of our time, worthy of our attention, worthy of, of care. 
Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I, I love that story about the Tower of Babel. I think it is so rich with relevance. And um, what, what's interesting to me is the idea that we, all of us people came from somewhere that we didn't create ourselves. We, we don't have the power to create ourselves. Uh, we didn't bring ourselves into being. And I, I'm trying to talk about this in the most universal terms that sure. could be relevant to Christians or atheists, but mm-hmm. we, I, I don't have control over everything. I, I don't even understand my own body. I am made up of so many systems within systems and they just kind of do their own thing. And I don't have any say in that. Uh, so to me, what, the kind of like the universal relevance that first stands out when I think about that st- story of the Tower of Babel is the idea of uh, us finite beings trying to control everything based on our limited finite idea of how things should be. And to the extent that it cuts us off for, from relationship with that, which is greater than us. Um, and so my vision for the world actually includes a dance, a a loving dance with chaos and comfort, or I meant to say discomfort, um, and death. Uh, I don't want to control everything. And I I would find it to be uh, kind of like my version of hell to live in a world that to live in a universe that was controlled by me or by somebody else in every aspect. And this is one of my least favorite things about human beings tendencies. We are often willing to trade richness and authenticity and depth for comfort and convenience, smaller comforts and convenience. So true. And our, our abilities, our skills are, are getting so powerful that I do often worry that we could just completely control everything and cut ourselves off from that richness that would happen if we were a little bit more uh, willing to have a give and take with, uh, you know, maybe there's a meaning to death. Maybe, maybe there's, maybe there's, we're part, we're part of a good and natural process that we'll see the meaning of later. If only we're willing to, experience the discomfort a a smaller more down-to-earth example would be the idea of completely controlling the weather to me that would be a nightmare i love the four seasons that we have here in minnesota we have the we have both extremes we have extreme cold like arctic style cold and we have we can compete with any place on the planet in terms of the heat in the summer i love that and it's painful but I get, I get so much out of waking up and knowing that I'm not responsible for everything. I'm not in control of everything. And maybe this discomfort that I'm feeling of dealing with the snow and the ice today is uh, part of what it means to be human. And to me, that's more rich than if I had some kind of button that I can press to be like, oh, I want to be 72 degrees today. Hmm. I don't know if I'd agree with you. It is, uh, it's pretty cold out there today. <laughs> well, that's why I say a dance because yeah, the opposite yeah. extreme is to uh, be completely ascetic and say, uh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna uh, take as little as I possibly need. And, and there's, there's no need for, you know, uh, forks and silverware. If God, if God wanted us to put food in our mar- mouth using a fork, we would have forks in our hands or whatever. Right, like we come out with, with you know, yeah, in the world with... And you there's, there's opposite extremes. <laughs> and uh, I think it's one of the exciting things about coming into existence is saying, man, I'd love for this to happen. I really want this. This would be in line with my, le- my needs. But I'm also not infinite. And so I'm curious, is there some kind of uh, guiding force that's bigger than me that knows better than I do. And maybe I, uh, maybe I'd be better off if I went through this discomfort of not being able to do this or that thing that I want at this moment. It's a dance. Yeah. And, you know, for, for Christians who value the Bible as coming from God, you know, through people, um, you know, specific people, um, 
the the answer that we see there is yes um that god is benevolent toward us that he he actually cares about us um, but he also does want specific things for us and sometimes uh and sometimes kind of inscrutably you know hard to hard to figure out but um he leads us through painful things for the larger good that's a hard one to to wrestle with because i mean it walks into that age-old problem of evil and and yeah. sin and and why would a good god allow evil to exist yeah and yet it seems to me that he wants uh some sort of free will from us that 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 idea of yeah you know, i i often think about my kids you know and and so sometimes my kids can cop an attitude and we might not be in agreement and be frustrated with each other and and there are those moments where it's just like oh i just wish you were like that four-year-old again where just everything is you know i can solve everything for you it would just be you know you you're so happy and right now you seem so sad can i just control this situation for you and then i go no and, and I can't force them to love me or like me in this moment. It's something where we need to work through it together. You need to go through this thing and see wisdom and see good things on the tail end of it. I probably need to let you walk through some of these things in order for you to understand that. Yeah. I, I don't think God is just like just like me, um, thank the Lord that he isn't. Um, <laughs> but um, but I do think that there is that sort of analogy that kind of could be drawn. And I think that's universal for us humans, you know, unless there's something truly wrong uh, going on, that we want good things for our kids. We want what's best for them. We want them to thrive and to be their own people and to, you know, one of the things that I'm so excited for is to find out who they're going to be as, as adults. Yeah. yeah. And it's part of my role to shape them, but I also can't control them and force them into a mold. Um, so what will they do with their lives? I don't know. Who, what's their character going to be as adults? I'm, I'm not positive. I know that, but I, I hope that it'll be good and kind and you know, caring and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited by that idea that whatever it is that is responsible for me being alive uh, wants me to have autonomy and learn my own lessons and have uh, freedom and, and find things out for myself. And that's what I would want for my yeah. kids if I had them. Yeah. You know, I think, and, and that's where true worthship comes in, right? that they are worthy by their own merits, in a sense, worthy of, of time and affection and care and, you know, all of those things, not because they're my kids, but because they're humans, they, you know, they're, they're going, they're growing up to be their own humans. Yeah. But then also through time and through shaping and through difficulties and disagreements and all of those things, hopefully we come to a place where you know, it's kind of like those moments where um, I begrudgingly tell my parents that they're right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know? Yeah. Oh, you are right about that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And and I, you know, hopefully my kids later on will be saying, "Yeah, Dad, you you were right about that." And uh, you know, I'm I'm learning that now, and yeah, and I can put those things into practice, and you know, those things. You know, mm -hmm. is there any? Any conflict between my vision for the world and your vision for the world? You know, I wonder a little bit, you know, I, I long for people to feel, to feel fulfilled and to be able to feel like they're contributing and building and being their own people. I think where the conflict comes in is where we do that apart from God's design and God's 
will that he's revealed. And, and there we can get into debates because some people don't feel the Bible is uh, God's revealed will. But uh, for those of us who do, um, you know, we think it's really important that we try to live our lives that way and that he's calling the whole world into that relationship. He's calling the whole world into a devoted relationship with him. We recognize that there are those who won't want to enter that, but to, to, to me and to, to many believers, it's, uh, it becomes dismaying when we see people try to find their fulfillment through other means um, apart from that relationship. And so, unfortunately, I think sometimes conservatives or, or conservative Christians sort of try to force people into that relationship. And that's not good either. I would hope that, and this may move toward that pathway a little bit. Um, my desire would be all that all people would be believers in Jesus Christ, you know, from the whole world. But that can't be at the point of a sword. And it can't be by an edict from a government. And it can't be from uh, me forcing something on you or whatever it might look like. It, it really has to be something that we say, look at how beautiful that is. And, and is it really? Um, I, I think we have to be honest and say, hey, let's look at some of our own shortcomings and where we've gotten things wrong or we've messed it up and acknowledge that and be open to talking about it and say, we're, we're also human and faulty and broken and in need. Um, let's, let's go together. And I, I think if we have that humility and that we're open to having real relationships, including with people that, are, that don't see things the same way we do, that over time there would be something good that comes out of that together. Um, yeah. I guess uh, there's maybe uh, there's just uh, people going to have various opinions on what exactly it means to acknowledge Jesus Christ. I've gone off on uh, a, a path of trying to do that, that has led me to somewhere kind of universal, where to me, what it means to acknowledge Jesus Christ is uh, something that can be done whether or not you are familiar with the Bible. Hmm. You might have a different idea of what that looks like, but maybe maybe the path forward looks like having a good conversation about what the um, latitude is there for. Hmm. I mean, okay, I guess it would be easy to go, it would be easy for us to agree on the opposite extreme of saying it, it would be extreme to say that my every detail of what I, of my interpretation of the Bible or my church's interpretation of the Bible is the right one. Mm. Th that mm -hmm. would be extreme. That would be extreme. And then the, the opposite extreme is harder for me to articulate right now, but it would just be like, uh, maybe it doesn't matter what you do. Anything anybody does is acknowledging Jesus. Maybe that's the opposite mm. extreme. Yeah. Uh, so somewhere in the middle there, we can uh, find our own, find our path together by, by listening to each other. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I, I think sometimes we Christians um, can be too dogmatic, meaning we get so focused on the minutia or a single verse or, you know, a, a specific interpretation or a tradition that we lose sight of the larger picture of what God has been trying to do and what Jesus is trying to do, what he stands for and, and who he is, his, his nature, his mission, those things. And um, uh, for, for salvation and, and we risk being very much like the Pharisees that are portrayed in the New Testament. You know, Jesus accuses them of straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. Yeah. And if, if we approach things too dogmatically uh, and too forcefully, 
we wind up pushing people away and and doing a lot of harm for our interpretation. And there's a place at which I think Jesus is speaking a little bit more, I say this with caution, a little more universally, um, in the sense that he's revealing God's heart in the Mosaic law, the Old Testament books, to uh, the people of first century Israel under Roman occupation. And he's trying to show them who God really is and how far they've gotten away from his character and living in accordance with the things that God really wanted at heart for Israel. They've, they've gotten too focused on the laws and the rules and they've created more laws and rules around those. And they've lost sight of the heart of what those rules were meant to accomplish. Yeah. We risk being the same way. Um, and if we do that, and if that's the, the, what makes a Christian a Christian, oh goodness, uh, we've lost sight of something really important. Yeah. And Jesus went to the people who were the outcasts and he went to the people who, you know, and he said, um, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And so I'm, I'm going to the broken people. I'm going to the people who are in need. I'm going to go to those who are humble and contrite and who recognize that they're broken and sinful, you know, not to the ones who are self-righteous. Yeah. I have in my friendships with people who are not Christian, people who are progressive or of another faith, I've not, I mean, hardly ever that I can think of seen any kind of conflict with the values of Jesus in progressive meme slinging an idea that comes around a lot is, you know, if only Christians acted like Jesus mm -hmm. and, uh, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, uh, this, this is a major issue because as secular as society has become, there are still a lot of conservatives and progressives who want to live according to the Bible and want to have this relationship with Jesus. We might not be as uh, in conflict ideologically as it might seem from the outside. And just like you were saying, uh, this pharisaical insistence on a narrow and sometimes hypocritical dogma can uh, create an environment where somebody like Jesus would say, I don't fit within this circle that you've drawn. I think that that can be the case, yeah. I mean, I agree that this, this Jesus stuff that, that I read in the Bible, especially just the Gospels themselves, with, without, without having any preconceptions, this is the most relevant stuff that I have read. It informs my behavior as somebody who may or may not be Christian. I'm usually thinking as universally as I can. Um, there's something there. There's something worth preserving there to, to uh, try to help out the conservatives who would like to not throw away what we've learned from the past. I say, let's, let's talk about this. Uh, there, there is something there. And that uh, a lot of my progressive friends... They're basically trying to do stuff that I see as in line with Jesus's values. And uh, they might be trying to do it through a democratic system where there's always winners and losers. And I think we can do better than that. But what these people are aiming for, at least my friends, uh, I don't see a lot of conflict with Jesus's values. Yeah. And uh, I think there would be points where we might find those things. And yet I want to be very aware of the concerns and the needs of people who are not believers in Jesus Christ, you know, and, and uh, as the sense of he is their Lord and savior. Um, I think that having a real relationship with him means submitting to his Lordship. Um, and there is a devotional aspect to that, you know, and uh, you know, one of the things he says is, you know, uh, you are my disciples if you do what I've commanded you to do. And so what is that command? Well, the, one of the biggest commands that comes up over and over and over again in the New Testament is love one another. And yeah. uh, I think both conservatives and progressives can get on board with that yes. um, and say, 
okay, well, but what does love look like? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus says is um, that love your neighbor as yourself is the second greatest commandment. But the first greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Yeah. And so the way that Jesus is aligning those things is it's because we love God first that we can love another better because humans are derivative. Uh, if we get that out of order, if we love people first and disregard God or you know, fail to understand how people are derivative of him or, uh, you know, in, any one of uh, way of getting that out of whack leads us to real problems. And, and whether we're conservative or, or, uh, or progressive or whoever we might be or whatever our beliefs are, um, we can get things out of whack. And yeah. what Jesus is saying is it starts with this loving you know, devoted relationship vertically, which leads to this better relationship horizontally. That if I see you as an image bearer of God, then you're somebody who's worth my time. You're worth my energy. You're worth caring for. It's worth our time to, you know, if we're like this, to find a way to be like this. Yeah, that first commandment is interesting. When I try to follow the first commandment, what it looks like is I'm open to finding out that any particular idea that I have about who God is, is different from what I thought. So I try to connect with, you know, my source, the, the infinite that I, that I don't possess, but that I am a part of. I kind of branch out from the infinite, but I am finite. I try to have a relationship there and try to figure out uh, why do I exist? What can I, uh, what can I offer here? What, <laughs> why, what am I asked to do being a human being? And to me, that uh, is an openness to uh, feeling uncertainty about, ultimately, I don't know. Any of the things that I think I know about who God is, is subject to change with further information when new things come to light. Yeah, and... You know, I, I think that's uh, something where we, again, connect, uh, you and I, because I think both of us like to kind of, you know, figure out what, what is this thing? Let's, let's, let's examine this and uh, yeah. uh, how can we try to apply it? And, you know, I think about uh, Descartes, uh, you know, in his uh, cogito ergo sum, uh, I think and therefore I am. And, yeah. uh so what does it mean to kind of think through these things? And uh, I think if we approach it that way, you know, some of the things that you say about being part of the infinite and, and whatnot, I think some Christians hearing that who might hear that here would be like, whoa, you know, it feels too universalistic. It feels too removed. It feels like you're talking about some energy force or, you know, some, some other thing like that. And they, they just want just the facts, ma'am. What does it say in the Bible kind of a thing? I get it. I understand that. But I think there's a place in between, you know, where we are saying like, you know, at least for me, um, this is God's revealed word, the Bible, um, through centuries that this was written. And um, by through many different authors, and yet it weaves a uh, unified whole that tells us about God's character, his desire, his, his love for us, his desire to save us from our own sin and our own inabilities. But again, uh, while I want to stay true to that, because I think it's revealing something true and objective, I also recognize that we human beings need to be able to think and approach this thing and go, you know, how, how do I understand that? And how do I begin to stuff it in here and make it useful? Yeah. I think sometimes having conversations like this and, and not being so worried about getting all of our terms correct, but uh, more about the, ah, this is what I'm wrestling with. It's so important. I think that's poignant. Not worrying about getting our terms correct. I mean, what if, uh, 
for the sake of conversation, we said, uh, we're going to talk about Jesus, but we're going to call him Joshua. Like, okay. Okay. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> and then like, we keep extending that out. Uh, what if we call him something else? Uh, call him Frank or whatever. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and can we still talk about the values? Can we still talk about this would be a good thing to do, or this would not be a good thing to do. And based on the stories that I've heard about Jesus's life. And if you keep extending that out, maybe it's possible to talk about Jesus and to actually be talking about the same reality without using the name of Jesus, literally the name of Jesus. Because I mean, even Jesus isn't literally the name of Jesus, Yeshua right. or something, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now that's a good point. So uh, I hope that the Christians who will hear this will, will understand that, that Marshall, you're right, that uh, uh, Jesus is a transliteration that comes from Latin through, you know, from Greek, from Aramaic. So really his, his name is Joshua. So when you said that, I'm like, okay, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, now, when you get to Frank, uh, I might draw some lines, but, uh, but I think, so as I say, not wanting to be especially dogmatic, but at the same time, I think that there are also bounds, you know, um, there are things where the, where scripture would say, you know, like, like what it says in scripture is at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord of all. That's at a future date. But again, let's not get wrapped up in the transliterations that come through all these languages. And well, you can only say Jesus. That's not what this is about. But um, is some dude named Frank going to be our savior? Or is it this person that came as Messiah? And so oh, I see your point. Yeah. Yeah. The, the I, gospel, I didn't mean yeah. to. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't uh, trying to move towards the idea that everybody is equal to Jesus. Okay. Uh, but just that the, the terms, the language that we use to try to talk about God is not God. Right. I also want to say this with uh, an appreciation for the fact that it's helpful to have some kind of structure. And it's like, it, it, it would be extreme to say, well, you, words can never capture the reality, so let's stop using words. But what's also extreme is to say, I insist that you use my words and my definitions. And I know that a lot of people have, gr have grown up in environments that were um, really rigid. Mm -hmm. And a person says, well, hey, to me, it, I mean, when I'm as honest as I can be, it seems like this is something that Jesus would do. And maybe somebody said, well, no, it doesn't say that in the Bible, so that's not what Jesus would do. And so somebody said, well, okay, I'm going to go with what I know to be true rather than this rigid structure that somebody made for me. And so yeah. what I'd love is for humility. And to me, that is the first commandment. I mean, how, how do you know if Catholicism is the right religion, you know? Mm. Uh, and I have some of these friends, if it's hard for me to believe that if, if God actually said, hey, Catholicism's a little off, that they would actually be open to that. I could almost see them arguing with God and saying, no, Catholicism's the real thing. And uh, to me, that's not following the first commandment as well as I think we could. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so, I mean, sometimes I struggle with people who um, are very dogmatic about denominations. And so uh, for those who are not really familiar, denominations within Christianity um, are basically like um, you share some basic core ideas or doctrines, we'd call them, the, some, some basic sets of beliefs. But then because of interpretation or traditions, there's been branches off into different expressions. And that's where you get things like Catholicism, Lutheranism, uh, you know, uh, Baptist, uh, you know, evangelical, et cetera, et cetera. So um, sometimes people will go like, well, you know, that isn't Baptist enough, or that isn't XYZ enough. And I think sometimes we almost put our tradition above what's revealed in scripture. Mm 
And it's one thing to say, well, we believe this to be revealed in scripture and therefore this is who we are. Um, I get that. Uh, but we don't want to say, oh, because of our interpretive process, and we've developed this thing over here. Now let's bring it back over to here and put it on everything. And then basically the Bible has to be beneath that. That That's, I think, dangerous ground. Um, but largely because then we're getting away from those structures or those, you know, guardrails. Yeah. I, I don't want to rip anybody's guardrails away. That is the uh, reaction of rage that has happened with progressives a lot. In reaction to being confined to a box and feeling rage, they have wanted to devalue the whole idea of having a box and say that there's no value in that at all. And I don't want to do that. I just want everyone to, to have a, a humility about what they think is what they think God wants. Even if you don't use that language, even if you're a, an atheist, what you think the right thing is, you're just, you're just one drop in the ocean of all the things that are. And uh, it's, it's great to try to press for what you think is better and to have conversations and to try to encourage people to do what you think would be better. But there is uh, such a thing as pressing too hard. Oh, yeah. And uh, a lot of us, it's just, this isn't just about religion. I mean, this tendency to be fundamentalist and hard-lined about your own structure is just uh, natural because it, it's uncomfortable to feel uncertain, but uh, it's also uncomfortable to be oppressed and mm-hmm. forced into a box. In, in my uh, process of trying to avoid discomfort, I don't want to make other people uh, uncomfortable. Sure. Yeah. And I, I totally appreciate that. Um, and again, I, I'm not sure where those lines are, and maybe those lines are different for every person. I'm keenly aware and feel compassionate toward those who have felt that way, um, who felt pushed out because they didn't somehow fit the establishment or the, the uh, denominational leading or the, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, Thanks for saying that. I just feel like a, a lightness and a warmth hearing that come from you and not that I'm surprised knowing you, but just uh, hearing somebody who, who cares about this structure of uh, a biblical faith, hearing somebody say that uh, they, they, they don't want to push anybody out and they don't want to confine somebody. It really is great to hear that. Yeah. I, I guess the way I feel about it is this isn't meant to be a, a bear trap. <laughs> Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. th- this is really meant to be an invitation and it's not my invitation. It's Jesus' invitation. And it's an invitation that at one point I accepted. And so I want to walk with him and I want other people to walk with him too, but I can't force that and I can't make that happen. And I can't, I can't be the one to try to, in my own power, conform somebody to the image of Jesus. Um, as Paul said, um, that's the Holy Spirit's job. The way he does it is in such a unique and wonderful way that it never feels like forceful oppression. When there's forceful forceful oppression, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what I think, too. There's a lot of freedom for us human beings. It really does feel like uh, an invitation that we can say yes or no to. But I've also experienced a lot of uh, the opposite expression of that, saying that, okay, you can say no, but uh, you're going to be punished severely for saying no. Yeah. And I mean, that is not something that we can really escape. So, um, you know, what scripture tells us is that we have been designed for a specific function. Um, And so we are made as, as children, as image bearers. But we've also been given a very definite purpose in this world um, to, to display God's image in the world, to, to steward his creation well. And we answer for not doing that. And Israel in the Old Testament was a really good example of that. And so 
God called them. He, he led them out of oppression. Um, he brought them into a new land. He gave them the things they needed, but he told them, you know, we're in covenant relationship together and this is what you are to look like. And he gave them a purpose for that. I mean, in, in uh, Exodus chapter 19, verse six, he says, like, I've made you a nation of priests, uh, a holy uh, possession so that you may show the world uh, who I am, basically. Um, uh, so because of the relationship you keep with me and some of the distinctives that make you mine, you know, um, the rest of the world is going to see that I'm real and that I'm in operation among you. But if you don't do that, there are both natural consequences and spiritual consequences to that. And one of those is you'll be removed from this land that I'm giving you. And that's eventually what happened. It took centuries and many, many warnings along the way. But um, eventually that's what occurred. And yet it was very equitable. So one of the things that was supposed to be distinctive was as a sign of devotion to God, the people were to let the land rest. And so they would work for six years, sort of like they, were, they would work for six days out of the week. On the seventh year, they were to leave their land fallow, just let it, um, you know, we're not going to plant crops. It's just going to spring up whatever springs up from yeah. before. And just live off of that. Don't collect in and harvest and all that and try to sell uh, stuff and make more money. Just live. Just be at rest for a year. Uh, let the ground recover, then plant again the year after and do six more years. Then there were these jubilee years where they were supposed to uh, give the land back to whoever that they had bought it from. And so it really was not ownership. It was almost like renting. Mm -hmm. um, and the valuation of the land would change based on how many years it was till the next Jubilee year. Yeah. And slaves would be let free, you know, all of these things. Um, let those things go. Don't hang on to wealth. Let those things go. Trust in me to provide for you. And um, they didn't do that. So we have no evidence that the, the Sabbath years or the, these uh, fallow years uh, or the Jubilee celebrations and rests were ever practiced. In the <laughs> never tried it. Right. Never even tried it. As far as we know. Yeah. Yeah. And what's so interesting is um, that the time that Israel spent in bondage in Assyria, Babylon, Persia, before being released to their, their homeland again, was the exact number of years of the skipped Sabbaths. No. <laughs> Those skipped years yeah. to the day. Mm -hmm. And if that isn't, if there isn't an equity to that, if there isn't like an, an equality in that of God saying, look, I'm not here to punish you more. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get you to understand what I mean, that your devotion is to me and that I will care for you. And because you refuse to operate this way, I'm giving you over to your way of doing things. And this is the way the world works. Yeah. So what I'm hearing there is we're free, but there are inherent consequences to the way that we act. Yeah. And I think that anybody, whoever they are, whatever kind of faith or lack of faith they have, that, that's a relevant thing to ponder that, uh, we do have choice and it matters what choices we make. What I would love is for us to focus more on the inherent reasons, the inherent consequences of making this or that choice and move away from the idea of an extrinsic punishment that uh, we're, going to, we're going to make you suffer because you deserve it. Uh, and this is this is in addition to the the reasons why you might want to behave one way or the other. Sure. You know, it's it's interesting that you you say it that way. Um, can I read a passage to yeah. you? Mm -hmm. 
so there's a book in the New Testament called the book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. And just for people who might not be aware of that. And in the book of Hebrews, uh, it, it kind of talks about that we as Christians are being called to live in a way uh, of faith in Jesus that the people of the Old Testament were hoping for. And then when it, what it comes down to is if you face struggle or trials or persecution for living this relationship with me in this world, um, recognize that there's a greater purpose to it, but it isn't a malevolent purpose. And so you're just dealing with the nature of a broken world. And so I just wanted to read a, a, a section to you from Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse seven. And it says, endure hardship as discipline. And so by hardship, it means persecution, uh, destructive things that are coming that hurt you, all that stuff. Receive it as discipline. Now that word doesn't mean punishment. It means like training. Yeah. Now we're talking. I like training. Mm -hmm. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And if you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons or daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness, his set-apartness. Yeah. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained up by it. Yeah. And so um, just this idea of this isn't a matter of punitive action. It is about how are we being developed? How, how is our character being trained? How is our faith being trained how are we able to see god as better through the difficulties we face in life yeah and that is a hard concept to get our heads around sometimes especially while we're going through it it is it's so important to acknowledge that that's hard man the consequences are so tragic when we aren't very good at getting our heads around that yeah i mean just the word discipline as a progressive, as somebody who is an iconoclast, a free spirit, somebody who, sure. you know, yeah. uh, to me, discipline is somebody saying, I'm going to make you act a certain way using force, using coercion, or even abuse, uh, regardless of what, how, what you assess the situation to be like. And I know that a lot of people hear that when they think of the word discipline. Mm. And so now we have the opposite extreme. And here's where I think it's time for us to listen to conservatives a little bit. I think our left-leaning society, our left-leaning zeitgeist, doesn't have enough appreciation for the, the vertical, the qualitative dimension of reality. We, we've rightly noticed that some of these vertically-oriented people uh, had no room for us. There's more of a horizontal dimension to reality. And... When you take that in the opposite extreme, uh, you get situations where there are no experts at anything. You know, my opinion or my truth is just as valid as your truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, that our society is suffering from that a lot. So there needs to be a, a cross, a cross shape <laughs> with a, a healthy vertical and a healthy horizontal dimension. Yeah. Bringing this word discipline back to training, like we're going to get better at stuff. Yeah. Life, you don't start off complete in this life. And it takes, uh, it takes discomfort. It takes some effort to grow. And then once you have skills, you have something valuable and you have something to pass on to other people and to contribute. Yeah. And uh, if nobody develops themselves or their skills, then uh, we're just kind of a bunch of mushy people that aren't ex- getting to experience the the meaning and the richness of developing ourselves as human beings. Yeah. And, you know, um, I'll just admit that this morning I had an argument with my daughter 
and uh, she's she's going into the teenage years, and uh, yeah. sometimes that's not, there are difficulties with that, and yeah. uh, um, and you know it's like I I was very frustrated with her, and but you know a good father doesn't hit his daughter, good father doesn't seek to oppress his daughter. A good father wants his daughter to grow in understanding. And there may be a, you know, there was a sending her to her room moment. Um, yeah. Which she didn't appreciate at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but then a conversation afterward. My desire is that she grows up to be a strong, healthy, caring, intentional, purposeful person. And it's my duty and should be my joy to be somebody who can walk alongside her and help her to get to that place. Yeah. I think about a picture of me walking with her, holding her hand when she's probably three years old. And that's an image that I think of a lot when I think about spending time with God. Yeah. Is there are times where there are things that really hurt that come into my life, things that I get really frustrated by. And I need to remember that the way I should approach this is as training and not as punishment, not as punitive. God wants me to grow and keep that relationship and that dependence on him instead of thinking that I've got it all figured out. You know? Yeah. Right. The, the older a person gets, the more likely it is that they will they will know something that you don't know as as a parent the the more information and the more experience they gather the higher the chances are that uh, they might actually know what they're talking about and in these in between years these uh, liminal years of going from childhood to adulthood the teen years uh, there are two things that get messy one is that the child does actually know something that the parent does or sees it in a way that is different, equally valid or more accurate. And then also as they're uh, learning that they have this uh, power and this autonomy, it appears to them that they know something that they might not actually know better than their parent. And so mm -hmm. if a uh, parent and child can both have appreciation for what that looks like, that, yeah, here's a being that is trying, that is, meant to become more independent and hopefully can build on their parents. Like you said, you know, you hope that your children do better than you. And then also the hope is that the child can understand you're in the beginning stages of re branching out and becoming independent. And uh, there might actually be some things that your parent knows better than you about. If both people can have that appreciation, seems like a good relationship. I, I actually love working with teenagers. You know, so many people are like, um, I look forward to having kids, but oh my God, when they turn into teenagers. And for me, if I ever did have kids, I'd be waiting for that day because that's my, my favorite age group to work with. And I don't know, I just, I resonate with people who are like 14 and 15 and are starting to become rebellious and become adults and and they're faced with these systems and other people who are saying you don't know what you're talking about and actually they do kind of know what they're talking about sometimes yeah yeah you know i think uh having worked with teenagers i've liked other people's teenagers <laughs> <laughs> that's understandable yeah in in the sense that oftentimes we, you know, maybe it's kind of that like uh, in group, out group kind of a thing. Um, mm -hmm. Also, where you're in the same home, and uh, there are just so many moments that might get tense. Yeah. Or there are things yeah. that you're pushing them back against in the home. And when you go out of the home and you're talking with somebody else, you're far more open and relaxed to be able to have that give and take. Yeah, But it is such a great time where people are starting to figure things out. They're starting to examine things. They're starting to experiment, you know, which can be good or bad. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I definitely acknowledge that, that uh, 
for so many parents, it's not about um, ruling with an iron fist, but it's about the child in their attempts to become more autonomous and independent have expressed that they're going to do something that you can see is probably going to hurt them, that they're probably yeah. going to regret later. And, and that's what causes the conflict. It's not so much everybody's a, uh, every parent is a control freak or an authoritarian. It's that they care about the well-being of their child. And uh, yeah. they can see, given their um, experience, they're more years alive than the kid, that they can see where this is going. And it, it might be tragic. Yeah. And we're not being good parents if we don't point that out. Yeah. Just sometimes our kids can't hear it. And, and some, sometimes we don't have the skills to convey that well and wind up being too forceful or being, uh, you know, haranguing or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, you know? Yeah. It, well, and then uh, there's a third dimension that is, uh, is complex and scary uh, that we live in a world that is, in large part ruled by unjust forces mm. and uh, a new human being who hasn't been corrupted or exposed to those forces are going to say things like, well, it should be this way. And yeah, it should be that way. Yeah. But if we don't acknowledge these forces that are, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a concrete example here to make it easier. Like, uh, Maybe at a certain point in the road, it would be totally fine if you drove 40 miles per hour instead of the speed limit, instead of 30 miles per hour. And uh, a teenager might say something like, this is dumb. Why, why should I uh, just abide by this blanket speed law? And uh, as far as that goes, they're actually right. It wouldn't be a problem for somebody to go 40 miles per hour. But because we live in this structure where uh, a cop might catch you doing that and might uh, give you a punishment, an extrinsic punishment, and uh, the parent is going to wind up paying for that or it's going to go on the kid's record or something like that. Uh, if, we don't, if we don't grapple with the reality that that cop is going to do what the cop is going to do, the tragedy, there are going to be consequences. Hmm. And they probably are unjust consequences, but they're real. So I, I think that's what's yeah. really complex about working with teenagers too. Yeah. And, and on the other side, I mean, just to, to be the other advocate yeah. is thinking about, uh, you know, oftentimes where we've got 25 mile per hour or 30 mile per hour speed limits are in residential areas. And uh, think if uh, your little son or daughter uh, lost a ball out into the street and yeah ran out to get it going 40 miles per hour versus 30 miles per hour may be the difference of being able to stop in time. And so by disregarding the speed limit, we're actually endangering other people's lives, even if we don't realize it because most of the time it's not the case. Yeah. But all you need is that one time. I guess for me though, that would fall under the heading of just ordinary uh, guidance of a parent knowing something that the child might not know or mm -hmm. might be better at thinking about. And in this case, the society is in line with that because the, the speed limit is definitely where it should be. It would be a problem if it were higher. Yeah. But we do live in a society of uh, control freaks and authoritarians yeah. and teenagers are right to uh, feel their feelings in response to that and to try to do something about it. Yeah. And, you know, I think that leads us back to some of the earlier conversation, too, is, um, you know, if we approach, you know, quote unquote, religion, uh, you know, if we approach faith through a dogmatic lens where everything has to be just just so and there's no room for any kind of creativity, any kind of uh, expression that doesn't sound exactly this way. Um, you're going to create rebellious people. You're going to create people who feel oppressed and who say, you know what? I don't want to have anything to do with that. Yeah. And yet that isn't Jesus. That's 
tradition. That's human interpretation, human rules. So there, there are some things that God has laid down that he's expecting us to live into. Um, but most of the time, he is so gracious with us and patient with us. And hopefully we can be gracious and patient and, and humble with other people too. Yeah. And I guess for anybody who's listening who doesn't have any experience with Christianity or the Bible, I would love to point out that, I mean, if you just read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, kind of if you opened up to a random page, you would find Jesus resisting these authoritarian approaches to religion. As surprising as that might be from uh, the version of Christianity that you've seen on TV or seen uh, proselytized, I mean, I don't even know what percent, at least 50% of the Gospels has got to be Jesus engaging with uh, these authoritarian, rigid, religious elites. Yeah. And it's amazing that when some of these religious elites kind of stop short and go, huh, you know, I haven't thought about those things. I mean, uh, his his, uh, conversation with Nicodemus, who is one of the Pharisees, um, Mm -hmm. uh, it changes the dynamic. And Jesus is much more tender with him than, than he is with some of the others. We're trying to catch him and trying to, uh, you know, force him into a mold. That's beautiful. It matters how we engage with authoritarian energies and people and structures. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's difficult to know how to do that in a way that isn't like an equal and opposite reaction. That's what you and I are trying to introduce into the world. And yeah. anybody who's listening or watching this and you got your own ideas how to do more of that, let's spread this. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, well, Marshall. I, yeah, thank you. I think that's a good place to end. Uh, yeah. As always, enjoyed our conversation. And uh, Me too. I'll see you next time, Steve. All right. Sounds good, brother. See ya. All right.